This is Sports Content Kings, talking to today's brightest minds in sports and entertainment. Welcome to Sports Content Kings, brought to you by WC Sports, a podcast dedicated to today's brightest minds in sports, figuring out the latest trends and technologies shaping the industry. I'm Aviv, one of the founders of WSC Sports and Chief Business Development Officer. Happy to be here together with my brother. I'm Shaka, VP Business Development at WSC Sports, and we are the Arnon Brothers. And today we are joined by Jeff Gertoa. He's the EVP Digital at CBS Sports News and local stations. This has been a great and interesting conversation. We thank Jeff for coming on and hope you all enjoy. Aviv, how's it going? Great. How are you doing, Shaka? Doing well. It's been a while. I'm excited for this uh, upcoming conversation. We had a challenge in the chit-chat before we started recording. The mouthful of the title of our guest, Jeff Gertoa. How's it going, Jeff? Going well, going well, guys. You're EVP Digital at CBS Sports News and Local Stations. I think it will be best if we'll give you a couple of minutes to introduce yourself, introduce some of your career and history, and uh, we'll take it from there. Like you mentioned, I have, I have a long title as uh, EVP Digital for CBS sports news and stations. I've been with CBS for 14 years with a, a variety of, of digital roles, mostly on the sports side, from head of programming, overseeing product, general manager role I'm under CBS Interactive, now working closely with the leadership at CBS across a number of properties. Prior to that, I was with Sporting News, a very traditional legacy sports magazine brand. And I started there running their fantasy games businesses, uh, and eventually becoming general manager of their digital businesses. With real paper, right? Real paper. Yeah. No, when I started, it was, you could hold it. That's, that's how it was when I started. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Sporting news today are digital. Uh, we know them are friends. So, but that's a, that's a previous iteration of their life. Yeah. That ship sailed for sure. But prior to that, I was in business school trying to figure out what I was doing with my life. And, uh, before that, I worked for a energy consulting company when I was trying to figure out how to use my math and economics degrees into becoming a uh, positive member of, of society, you know, contributing in some way, trying to map my way. So that's where I started. Then I, I, I know, but, you know, talk a bit about my path into sports media, which I think is probably a bit untraditional in a way that I had no intention of being in sports media in early in my career, not because I was averse to it, but mostly because I was probably like a, a you know, some segment of people just, just trying to figure out how to get a job and become really employed. And I said, I was just trying to find my a way to, to utilize my economics and my, my math degrees. And I said, I found that in consulting first. And when I went to business school, I thought I was going to stay in the energy industry, but it was during Enron. I don't remember people bold enough to remember that, but big meltdown in, in the space that, that I, I thought I was going to go enter into post-business school. And when I was at the Career Management Center at, at Stanford, where, where I was getting my business degree, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life, Career Management Center said, why don't you try to get a job in sports? Because you run a bunch of sports clubs and I hear that all you do is watch sports and play fantasy sports and talk about sports. So why aren't you going down that path? And at the time, it sounded absurd to me. Like I was like, sport, like I, I don't have any background in that. How am I going to get in sports? And it's a hobby. It's not a job. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I honestly, at the, at the time, it just wasn't, it wasn't a natural leap, I think, to go from business school into, into the sports media industry. I think that's, that's, that's become more common, but at the time it really was, was abnormal. And sure enough, they, they put me in touch with a graduate from the same business school who was at Sporting News, who was overseeing the, the fantasy 
games business there. And I uh, tried to reinvent myself as a, a marketing person and got a job as a head of marketing for the fantasy games division at Sporting News. And that started the whole thing. And then it was just sort of a, you know, one thing after another from there. So while some people I think probably dreamed of it and planned on getting in sports media, mine was, uh, I, I dreamed of watching lots of sports and loved it, but I never really thought I'd be sitting where I am right now. Very cool. Getting into it, like basically took your fandom just was something that you liked and had a chance and that that rolled into a two decades of a career in the space right yeah exactly exactly just what have you seen in those 20 years for example and how you as a fan interact with your teams or with the, with the sports that you love what have you seen in, in all, an established career and social media was really really early stage friendster was actually the dominant social platform so it was before Facebook had gotten out of colleges and Twitter wasn't really anything. And, and so it was, it was just a very, very different, obviously. At Sporting News at the time, we actually tried to invent a, a sports social media platform where people got gamified message boards and tied into the games and trying to make it so the whole website was sort of a big, a big game that also sold our fantasy games, which were, which were salary cap, almost early, early stage daily fantasy at the time. So I spent a lot of my time just trying to think through interactive engagement for sports fans early in my career, how to take what was really early social media and, and gaming and bring that into sports media space. That was where it started. But but at the time, it was you know just totally different. I mean, you know, people printed things out. Print button was a, was one of the most important parts of the article page design. You know, the display media space was still pretty wasn't mature. You know, I'd say it was it was really almost more similar to the newspaper and magazine industry than what you see today, because it was really about taking magazine copy and newspaper copy, you know, or AP copy at the time using the same editorial workflows as previously existing and then trying to apply them to the internet. I think SEO was cool, but definitely not really even, I would say early on, Google wasn't even like firmly established as the, as the search winner. So almost every single core underpinning of what we look at in terms of web publishing digital media didn't exist. It was, it was almost more of a print ecosystem at the time. So anyway, I think back in, you know, that was 2003, so that's 20 years ago. And then I look back 10 years ago, and that's still wildly different than what we're doing today. But yeah, 20 years ago is basically the stone age in terms of how we look, look at what we're doing now in the context of what was going on then. So we, we started 20 years ago with Sporting News, but then you made a move to CBS. And then that start was also in the interactive and fantasy space or more like content programming, like, you know, CBS has a big business in fantasy, but was that what you moved in for or? Came in for programming. So it was editorial, video content production, fantasy content production, but it was all content. And so I, I came in with a, with a, with a content oversight, which retrospect was, I was probably a bold hire for that position because I, I didn't have an editorial background. I was a general manager in my final final role at Sporting News, but I, I wasn't really a certainly traditional editorial programming hire at all. So when I came in, I had to really listen and try to understand how it all worked and, and what, what was working. But I think I probably had an advantage at that time by being a bit of an outsider because it was really kind of a, from 2009 to let's say 2013, 2014, that five-year period flipped everything on its head. So I came in, I, I almost didn't know the old way. So I think it probably put me in a position to be a strength at that point to have someone who really almost didn't know what they were doing in that role. I think it was a transitional time, like from, from digital being a necessity and nice to have, or almost like a cost base that every media outlet had to also have maybe a website or an app or something like that into becoming a core part of the business. Like digital and website and, and content on digital became part of the primary existential part of the business. 
I'll add here to this question, looking back, you know, a decade plus, was CBS an early adapter of those trends? I, I think social media is like the biggest thing you could put your finger on between 2009 and tw 2013 in sports, the, the dramatic change in consumption habits. Was CBS early to identify it or did it take any time? We were pretty out in front of a lot of trends. The other trend at the time too was, was the blogging trend. And that was kind of a key thing going on in the 2009 10. I mean, it's, it's earlier than that too, but, but I want to say it started in 2009, but we went aggressively there and, and changed our whole content production model to be modeled more after what was a blogging construct that just was disruptive at that time to the traditional web publishing model, which again was built, I think, off of more of a, a traditional newspaper or a magazine edit approach. And then all of a sudden you have your empowering writers to uh, publish copy direct to consumers, which then changes the whole dynamic between your core edit and your content creators and, and the types of content creators you need to, to hire. And then also bringing in people who understood search, which I think was, it was a very different way for us. So we were aggressive there. And then that naturally, I think, put us in a good position to transition into social because we already had content creators who were a little bit more cutting edge, you know, who were, who were a little bit more forward thinking. We certainly weren't, I think, the front end, but we were aggressive. We were aggressively trying to find a way to have our brand come to life on every platform. We were very engagement driven, you know, engagement for the sake of engagement. Like there was a lot of question about what are you and what was the function? And we were kind of very much, you know, we're going to try to engage customers on this or, or engage fans and thinking that through and, and then, how, you know, so the goals and the way we were thinking about it, I think we're always, I think we were thinking about it right. And then us just trying to change around our workflows and the way that we were structured which is always the hard part because you're always moving from an edit structure and a process and organization that's creating one kind of widget. And then you might say you want to create the other widget, but getting the whole machine to change that way is hard. So we always kind of knew what we needed to do. And then, and then we, we turn the ship and then, and then get there. So we, I'd say we were pretty aggressive. And again, I still, I still think we're pretty aggressive in trying to be out in front of where social media is going now, where where fast channels are going now, kind of thinking through production holistically and cross-platform. And again, are we doing it all right? Of course not, but we I think we get it and we're just constantly trying to get our content machine to become the next thing, but while evolving from the last thing, which which can be hard. It's a decade now for you to be leading digital strategy. So why don't you take us over that? So we talked a lot about history and now you jump to it to today, like all those different changes and everything that you've CBS been investing and let's talk about sports in particular. You had a, some really interesting moves in the last few years, moving into uh, into soccer and building all these new offerings. So why don't you tell us? Yeah, sure. So go a bit into the soccer strategy for us. So we're working closely with the Paramount Global Streaming team through the broader strategies for Paramount Plus and, and, and Pluto. And as we we're trying to figure out the sports applications for that. A few things we're considering. You know, one is what is CBS Sports, right? And, and CBS Sports legacy is built around the biggest events. It's synonymous with with the Super Bowl and the Masters and Final Four and the biggest events in sports. And so as we were trying to think through how we're going to execute on a sports strategy through CBS Sports, the first piece was we do have all of the big events on CBS. You know, those big events are available on our streaming platforms. But then as we were thinking of the next big swing, when we were looking at the, the broader marketplace, soccer popped out to us uh, for a couple of reasons. One, we weren't there at all when we were first looking at it. Like there was no CBS Sports player footprint in the soccer space. But the audience had an interesting profile. It was young, which correlated with more streaming centric. So when you looked at the audience, they tended to, to consume more content and consume soccer on streaming platforms. And then it also had a lot of the characteristics of a passionate audience that, that where a lot of soccer fans viewed it as their number one sport 
And that also correlated well with an audience that was going to be active enough to go and download an app to watch the event. So we liked the makeup of the audience. And then then obviously UEFA Champions League had the characteristics that fit CBS Sports, right? It's it's the, the biggest, the biggest for the biggest. You know, you obviously get the premier brands in soccer playing and you get the to highest quality. So it, it really fit this profile of we thought it was the right thing for CBS Sports. It was the right thing for us. But then it was also the right thing strategically where we're trying to figure out what's the sports strategy as we build out our Paramount Plus and our Pluto products. And so that started our adventure in the soccer space. And it's it's been quite adventure. You know, I think we've tried to be very cutting edge in terms of the the way that we produce the events, the shoulder programming we create, the style and the the, the vibe, and us trying to stay true to it being a young, passionate audience. And we try to have that flow into everything that we're doing. And then also from a technology standpoint, right, it, it introduces a lot of challenges, just the sheer number of get matches that you get. It's, you know, it's not just Champions League, it's Europa League. And now it's not just Europa League, it's Europa Conference League. And you're not talking about one game, you're talking about eight simultaneous games. And you're trying to build something for the fan that's taking this massive amount of simultaneous games and both create the streaming product, but then creating the whole universe around that with the storytelling where you're trying to, you're trying to bring everything to it. So not missing out on some stories, trying to figure out everything and, and build a picture to the fan, allowing them to follow everything that's going on at the same time. It's a, it's a big challenge. Exactly. And how do you program a social media account when you've got 20 games going on that day and mine the highlights, tell the stories. And it's just, again, another one of these where you're looking at your current workflow and your current technology and you're like, to do that well, we can't do what we're doing today in terms of the way that we're approaching things. So we've been really pushing on trying to stay innovative so that we can both deliver the core experiences at a high level, build the surrounding stories and do that at a, a cost rate that supports the business, and then being able to mine all of the matches so that we can have interesting social accounts that are telling the story of, of everything that's going on. And when you talk about the younger generation of fans, want to understand how young. Can you attribute that fandom to Roberto Baggio? Is this like the generation that grew up on World Cup 94? Or is this younger? And I think it also I can connect the dots. We're looking at 2026, the World Cup in North America. I think it ties in to the fact that, uh, you know, soccer will get more focus and more excitement as this uh, comes closer and closer. So is this a part of your consideration when you went for it or, or put the focus on soccer? It had all the right lines in terms of growth going in the right direction. You know, and like you said, we had the 26 World Cup, which we think is going to be another seismic moment for the for the sport in the U.S. And that you're enough for it, not just the event itself, all the, you know, yeah, build up. Everything, everything, yep, totally, totally. And, and then in terms of why, it's funny, I actually don't, there's unclear exactly what's driving the youth interest in this sport, but I have a few ideas. You know, I think one is it kind of replaced Saturday morning cartoons in some ways, I think, in the U.S. You know, you've got you've got soccer matches on on Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings. Time zone. Yeah, the time zone, I think, plays into kind of an interesting viewing period that was pretty wide open in terms of uh, competitive U.S. sports. The games are continuous and pretty short, so you're, you're in, you're out, and you don't have a lot of commercial breaks to sit through. And then it's just interesting culturally. You just have real passion and you watch these matches and it's it's just, a, obviously, it's, it's very different than what you see in, in traditional American sports, just in, in all aspects of kind of the, the color of it and the storylines and promotion, the relegation, the 
you know, the making these other tournaments, uh, the the songs that the teams and the different kind of cultural aspects that each team builds. And I think all of those storylines just make it interesting. It's different. It's just kind of, it's, I think it's, it's cool. And you can explore a lot of different corners of the sport. And then I think it just gets moment, got momentum. And I think you're just seeing it continue to go, you know, so I think it's whatever the reason we'll take it. And we're just going to keep feeding the storylines and try to play into that momentum. And like I said, just kind of continue to build towards 26 and see, see what happens there. And I think it's going to be another big, big step forward for the sport. Does it play in that it's such an international, you got such an international coverage as well? Like, I mean, Champions League's been the golden crown jewel of soccer, I think, for you. It started in 2019, I believe. But now I'm looking at a list here. You got a, a lot of soccer content globally. Serie A, Scottish Premier League, got the Basilero, the Argentinian League, right? The NWSL. The fact NWSL is domestic, but the rest of it is is international. So all the Pats immigrants or anybody that's the fact that it's such such, a, such an international vibe does that play into into the coverage? Definitely, and also we have Concacaf, which is the U.S. national team. You know, some matches from the U.S. national team and the Mexican national team. Canada is interesting now. We were looking at the the broader play. We also understood that the the soccer audience in the U.S. it's, it's not homogenous. It's not a single group. That there's people who who tend towards the domestic leagues who tend towards more national team interest, who tend towards different pockets of teams that, you know, in different parts of the world. So we wanted to offer something that was broad-based where there was something for everyone and where we could also introduce fans to things that were interesting that maybe they hadn't seen before. A large segment of the U.S. soccer fan base has been a fan of the sport for less than five years. So they're still finding their niche, finding their team, can, you can introduce them to matches and rivalries and storylines that they haven't been exposed to. And, and I think you, do, you don't do it in a condescending way, but just kind of a, hey, we're watching this together. Did you know this? It's sort of, you know, we can become kind of the, you know, the friend that, that just knows all the, the kind of cool parts of the global sport and we can introduce people to that and, and watch it with them. That's an amazing opportunity. That's amazing. I think uh, there's the only resemblance I can think of is like MMA, which is a new sport and people are just getting into it. This is almost the same in, in a, an established sport, but fresh fandom that you can help uh, help shape. That's amazing. It's a very sophisticated audience. Some of the fan, has been, fan base has been fans for a long time, but there is a segment that's just, just new to it. And it's so big and it's the globe. So even if you've been following it for a long time, there's things that you don't know. And so it's and so that, that's, that's the idea. We want to just make it fun to talk about the stories and introduce people to interesting matches and storylines. One of the latest initiatives you've had is you started first, correct me if I'm wrong, the first US-based exclusively soccer network, the Golasso Network. So uh, that is launched a few weeks ago. It's uh, quite an interesting initiative and, uh, you know, venturous spirit. And I think it's going to be a unique offering as well. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Well, there have been other 24-7 soccer networks on the cable bundle, where is the first freely available streaming network. And we've seen through all our research and, and honestly, just the number of rights that we had, we thought that there was both this untapped opportunity and that we had the assets to go execute on it. So our vision here is to provide the soccer network for this growing fan base that we just talked about and to um, use our rights and our talent and our production capabilities and our ability to tell stories and the things that CBS Sports is great at to deliver a service to this fan base and to introduce these fans to all the great storylines going on globally. And just think of like how big it is and the number of matches that play and the number of stories and the number of leagues. 
you know, again, the fact that there isn't, I think if we didn't do it, someone was going to do it. So we, and we thought we were the right place for it. I mean, it's a mix of, we have a morning show called Morning Footy, which is a, a morning talk show talking about all things domestic, international, national team club. We have an afternoon show, Box to Box, which is going to start to go a little bit more analytical and break down of matches coming up that night. We have live matches at more than a hundred matches already stream on the network. And we have a, a lot more programming that we're incubating and testing in the back that we're going to be releasing this upcoming fall in the next cycle of European clubs kickoff and, and to, to, to really make it so that you can turn on the network and you'll always be able to get analysis, get news, get highlights from, from whatever is the most important story in the sport at that moment. We've got a ways to go. We're still really early stage, but we're super excited with the success so far and, and, and what, we're gonna, what we've learned and where we're going to take it in the next, next phase. And where can you find that that network? It's freely available. It's in our CBS Sports apps. It's in on the Pluto app. And it is, uh, for paying subscribers, available in Paramount Plus because we have so many soccer rights. We have a really large soccer fan base in Paramount Plus. So those are the three places today. More to come tomorrow. With, with so much content, let me take it a bit to our angle. You know, we've been working together since 2019, since you started covering Champions League and helping to create the short form content and help cover in different ways. We're now uh, creating a lot of highlights for, uh, for the CBS Sports app. And you're creating also extended highlights on Paramount Plus and of course, distributing all this content on social and on digital. So for fans to be able to catch up with so much content and to be able to cover it like on digital. It's not just what you put up as live broadcast, but you have all this content and for fans to find it and be able to catch up and engage with so much content. What else do you do on digital for the coverage? How do you invest in that further? What's coming up? Yeah, we hit on this earlier where one of the challenges we talked, looked at our, as we looked at the problem we're trying to solve for, for soccer was just the sheer volume of matches, the uh, production efficiency and workflows become really important. So I know we have a, a really important partnership towards that where we're able to really cover the massive number of leagues and matches that we have and create video clips that we distribute, highlights that we distribute, the, the content that drives our social handles without being innovative technologically, we couldn't do it. It's just too much. Like you can't, you can't do it through old processes. So anything that allows us to, like I said, with WSC, the way that we're, we're able to go through all the matches and cut up highlights quickly and seamlessly and distribute them. I mean, it's, it's core to us being able to, to execute. When I think of kind of the key point, key levers of technology where we're looking, right, we're looking at both in terms of the platforms themselves. So we're always trying to make sure that we're thinking through the apps, we're thinking through the desktop, we're thinking through kind of the, the actual platform development of which for our owned and operated products, that's core. Then we're looking for production efficiency, production workflow efficiency. That's critical to allow us to execute our social strategy, which is, you know, everyone listening to this would go like, yeah, that's that's foundational. You have to be there. That's the brand. And to have a smaller group be able to mine a mass number of matches for the most interesting plays and highlights. Yeah, you need automations. You need to, you need interesting technology. You know, that's where our partnership comes in. But similarly, we need it to even execute on the Glosso network where we're launching a 24 by 7 streaming network. It's always running. Us being able to do that at low cost is core to that business model or else it falls down. If we're using the same processes that we were 10 years ago, you can't do it. So everything for us is about how can we automate more workflows? How can we be more efficient in our processes? How can we get it so we can produce the highest quality, uh, highest volume as possible with the lowest cost structure? Otherwise, you can't do this. You can't have a 24 by 7 network. You can't 
stream tens of thousands of matches. You can't create an engaging social environment that mines all of that. Honestly, you can't really go do this sport without it because it, there's just so much of it. So no, we're, we're always thinking about the how we do it because we know what we want to do and the what's very ambitious. But if we're not really aggressive in terms of using the technology, both in terms of building up the distribution platforms and more, but also really going hard at our processes by which we're producing content, we'd fail. Yeah, I think generally the opportunity the younger fan base introduces is also a challenge because they expect things to be adapted to how they're used to seeing it. They expect to see more types of content. They expect it to see in different places. They expect it to be tailored to their preferences because that's what they're used to from, from different places. So then, as you said, you have to make efficiencies. You have to make sure that you're able to quench that thirst of that younger fan base. That's a serious challenge. And, uh, and that's where generally technology comes in. Do you have any insight into new interesting technologies that are coming in that will help you with uh, with the Glossom network or soccer ge in general? Or, you know, at sports as a whole, as you gear up for the Super Bowl, what interesting technology implementations do you see for uh, sports media? I don't feel comfortable talking about the broadcast side of this, and there's a lot going on there. And I think that that's a whole interesting conversation, but probably one I'm not equipped to talk to at a, a level that would be interesting to anybody. I, I can say that where we're focused is around now, the Super Bowl, every time you stream the Super Bowl, you basically break the internet and you have to completely reinvent how you produce live events at scale. And this upcoming Super Bowl is going to be no different. And there's work that, that begins well more than a year in advance. And there's all kinds of new technology that helps us drive that. So it's really kind of how do you produce the highest quality stream at the lowest latency with the maximum scalability, right? Those are, so there's, there's all all of that comes into just just rethinking the way that you stream. For us in the, the fast side, we're committed to creating more streaming networks. Like I said, we're looking at technologies that allow us to do that, cloud master controls, other automated workflows and, and ways that we can create future television in the most cost-effective way, doing it at a, at a level that is consistent with the CBS Sports brand and, and kind of consistent to our business model and the way that we, we go at things. But then you mentioned the other one is is really about that, you know, not just the distribution, but also distributing specific to the platform. So so as we create these channels, right, we're creating something for connected TV devices, which is one thing. But then as you're doing that and you're building the brand, you know, your TikTok execution is going to be different. Your mobile app is going to be different. Instagram is going to be different. We have an audio strategy that, that's related to this. So so you're really trying to find a way, you know, always think of it as like it never gets easier. You have to do more and more. Just it's like one of these, you don't when one door opens, another door doesn't close, that one stays open. So you have to figure out how you do that one too. And as you do that one, you're not going to be in a business where you're going to necessarily just get more resources. So you have to figure out how to use what you've got more effectively. So technologies that let us automate more quickly, go vertical where we need to go vertical, mine our CBS Sports HQ or, or our, uh, our Golasso network programming to pull things out, to mine all of the events that CBS Sports is putting on, right? All all of that is core and, and technology is, is, is everything there. Very cool. Anything about other sports? I know uh, we're, uh, you cover a lot of golf or, and other things. We talked a lot about soccer, but anything that we missed that we should uh, tell our audience? Yeah, yeah, no, we talk a lot about soccer, but yeah, obviously we're NFL, college football, golf, college basketball. Yeah, we've got it all. And we similarly, right, it's, it's we, we have those, we have to bring those brands to life across multiple platforms. We have to produce content for those platforms. We have to find ways to do that more efficiently so that we can, again, tell stories really wherever the audience is. And like you mentioned, yeah, this, 
these audiences expected everywhere. There's you've got to be where they are at the relevant time. And if you're not, then you don't exist. So that's the race we're up against. And and, and you know, like we've been talking about, the the tech is core to that, or else you just can't you can't do it. Really interesting times and we see that all over and we should follow up on it. So this has been incredible. Lots of insights and great stuff that you guys are doing and we're proud to be a partner and help you push the envelope. So thanks a lot for the time. Thanks for the time and the partnership. Yeah, we appreciate you guys. Appreciate the partnership as well. Thanks so much for having me. Wow, thanks to Jeff. That was very interesting. It's really bold how they went into soccer, you know, traditionally being a U.S.-focused sports, you know, traditional American sports, you know, going all in on that and doing soccer like that. It's a a bold move and uh, one that I like. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's great. And uh, Jeff's experience and uh, history has been really interesting. 20 years starting from Sporting News to CBS and shaping throughout those years how sports digital looks. So really interesting conversation. Where he started was, quote unquote, low tech innovation, right? It was was a magazine and paper, but it was innovation and interactions and engagement. Sporting News Today is is a digital outlet. It's all out forefront of of how you consume sports. But uh, 20 years ago, it was different. Looking forward to seeing where this goes, where, uh, you know, the Golasso Network, which is which is a very cool initiative and where other stuff is headed. Until uh, next time, Avid. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review or share the show with a friend. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please do so now so that you never miss a new episode. We're your hosts, I'm Shaka. And I'm Aviv. We're the Arnon Brothers, and this has been Sports Content Kings by WSC Sports. Thank you all for joining and looking forward to seeing you again here in the future.